listening to episode 42, chapter 4 of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. I'm Josh Havens. And I'm Chris Lamberth. And we're on a journey to learn what it means to live a lifestyle of discipleship. We're glad you're joining us and hope that as you set aside this time for God, that he would help you grow today in the everyday moments of life. And today we're wrapping up our conversation with Dave and Beth Borum about their book, When Faith Becomes Sight. Dave and Beth Borum are trained spiritual directors who now work to train other spiritual directors. Beth has written several books, including Starting Something New, Spiritual Direction for Your God-Given Dream. Dave is a graduate of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and now continues his private practice in college and career counseling with Direction for Life. In 2011, they launched Fall Creek Abbey in Indianapolis as a place for individuals to step away from the responsibilities of life and reorient their heart to the loving heart of God. When it comes to our spiritual lives, most of what we talk about is the work we can see God doing. It feels good to see God pouring out his blessings in our lives. It's fun to celebrate the victories and feel that God is actively involved in our day-to-day activities. Dave and Beth call this work day work. It's God's work in us that is easy to see. But what happens when the night comes and it feels as if God has withdrawn his presence from our lives? Do we have the faith to believe that God is still working in us even when we do not feel him? All of us, if we are serious about following Christ, will experience a dark night of the soul. But as Dave and Beth explain, this isn't an experience from which we should run because. This is just one more season of life that God wants to use to make us more like him. Uh, I want to talk about part three now um, real quick. Um, entering the deep waters of your soul. I, I think a great place, I want to jump all the way to the end. We already we hit on it earlier, but the, um, uh, the, the night work, the, the work that God is doing in you that you don't necessarily see and feel, but he's, he's definitely doing that work. Discouragement is such a huge part, I think, of our modern Christian life because of um, something else we hit on earlier is we don't often we don't have permission to do certain things like, you know, feel that God loves us. But I also feel like we have pushed aside um, topics like this because clearly good Christians don't suffer or if you do suffer, it's because you have something wrong in your life. And so you got to fake it till you make it and put on a good smile. So I feel like time, like hard times where, um, you know, you're going through something and God may be doing something in you, but you don't feel it are really downplayed. Nobody puts those moments on social media. And so <laughs> talk to us a little bit more in detail about what that night work is and, uh, wh- how God wants to use those to grow us. Yeah. So some of your listeners might recognize in the idea of night work a term that St. John of the Cross and Teresa of Avila coined you know, many, many centri- centuries ago when they called it the dark night experience, the dark night of the soul or the dark night of the senses. This particular chapter, we don't use a really um, the formal definition, but we contrast it to periods of time when we are engaged in more of day work. And day work is is that work that we do in our spiritual journeys that we participate in. It might be, you know, practice, spiritual practices of meditation and prayer and study and fasting and so on that help us to engage more fully with God and participate. Night work is a contrast because we're not able to participate. 
And oftentimes we have no sense of what it is that God is doing. God seems very quiet, silent, removed, sort of tucked back in the shadows of life. And it's actually quite a common phenomenon. And yet you're right, Chris, nobody talks about it. And so when you go through it, you think, oh, my goodness, what has happened to me? I've obviously done something to offend God, and God has removed God's presence from me and is no longer engaged with me. And you think that it's a symptom of, you know, a spiritual malaise, like there's a sickness going on here in me because I can't discern where God is, is involved. And yet... The work that God is doing is an expanding and a deepening work that only God can do. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about what we do in response to this mysterious phenomenon of night work and how we have to consent uh, and trust uh, that God, in fact, is involved with us. And um, so, so if we find ourselves in one of these these moments— how should we respond? Like, uh, what is it that we do to get through those? Is it just to simply, um, as we would say, maybe just practice the basics, keep practicing those things that we that we know we should, and and sort of just settle into a presence of acceptance? Or is there something, or or maybe even is the goal to get? Yeah, I feel like quote, our gut response is like, to get out as quick as possible. I it's a bad place, it. and so our gut response is get out. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's there's a need to slow down and be patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there are gifts to be given and received during these times. And if we treat it like a problem to solve, to get through as fast as possible with minimal you know, bumps and bruises, we're going to miss those gifts. And so I think there's an... Uh, as counterintuitive it is, is to slow down, to settle in that this may be, this may be a bit of a lengthy process here. Um, you know, we, you guys live in winter too. I wish winter wasn't so long sometimes. <laughs> I've got to believe though that something is happening as that snow begins to melt and things begin to happen deep beneath that surface and I can't see any of it. You know, if I got out there and just tried to light fires all over my backyard, I don't know what had happened. But mm-hmm. I mean, if I were to try to <laughs> press spring, I'm sure there would be there would there would be things that needed to happen that wouldn't happen. So, yeah, I really think a lot of it is letting letting God work in God's timing in God's way during those times. Beth used the word consent. I think that's a beautiful word that we all need to to use is to really consent to the loving action of God that we don't understand and don't need to be involved in, possibly. Mm -hmm. One of the things that will happen when we're in a dark night season, typically, is that while we have less and less a sense of God or God's involvement with us, our desire and yearning and thirst and hunger for God begins to be peaked. It's just we become almost desperate for God. And that is a good thing. That's a mm-hmm. great thing. That's a beautiful thing. And so if we can allow these really difficult times to produce in us this deep yearning for God, something important is happening within us and a deep connection is actually being established. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's really true. So, mm-hmm. uh, and it's probably been, yeah, six years ago now, I went through a really dark night. It probably lasted for, 
about a year and, and at the the deepest darkest point i was just curled up on the couch in the fetal position mm. from the time i got home from work until i got up to go to work the next morning and what during those times i was so desperate for any hint of a sound or a whisper from god that i was going looking everywhere for it mm. even to places that I normally wouldn't have gone. Uh, so during this particular dark night, I was, I was really, I, I felt like all of my sin was like right in front of me. And I was really like hyper aware of all of it. Hmm. And in that moment, I got so desperate. I, I start going to some of these uh, Puritan authors like John Owen, who talks about mortification of the, of our indwelling sin you know, probably not something that you you want to read if you're if you're you're like hyper aware of all your sin. But I was looking for something, and, and the cool thing was, in hindsight, even in reading stuff like that, um, I had some after months and months of doing that, I had some of those moments where just just little things would pop out, and it was God starting to to come back. And honestly, what I found. Um, really comforting was what C.S. Lewis said in the in the Screw Tape letters. I don't remember which letter exactly, but he, the phrase uh, the the phrase was something along the lines of, uh, "And he removes his hand, and if only the will to walk is there, he's pleased even in their stumbles." Which to me said it's not so much about the fact that I can walk, like a, a parent taking away their hand from a child who's just learning to walk. It's that I'm willing to trust the fact that my father let go of my hand for a bit and recognizing that even when I don't feel his hand there I'm still okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's beautiful yeah yeah I, 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 I want to just add something because I know community is a, an important feature that you bring forth and you know mm-hmm. kind of your what what you're encouraging what we find in certain of these moments is that many people's community um, mm-hmm. can't handle mm-hmm. what Josh was just describing and yeah. and don't know how to accompany it. It stirs up anxiety in, in us when we're around somebody else. They're in a confusing time. And, you know, we spend the bulk of our hours in the spiritual direction posture with others. And I think often that is one of the reasons it becomes spiritual direction becomes a safe place to when you feel like the map is not really instructing me where to go. Mm-hmm. And um, I think one of the challenges for all of us is how do we continue to grow communities that can handle the ambiguities, this confusing territory, this place that feels, I bet you felt very isolated and alone. Absolutely. You had questions mm-hmm. that there were no answers for. Mm-hmm. Or it didn't feel like I had a safe way to a- even ask oh, those yeah. questions. Yes, yes. And I'm not saying that spiritual direction is the only place for those to take place. I think that in the best, when a house church or a community is functioning, whether we name it or not, there's this spiritual direction process that God is with you in this. God is suffering with you in this. Mm. God empathizes. God weeps with you. God is frustrated because maybe others are a part of this this dilemma that you find yourself in. And so growing communities that can handle the complexities and uh, questions like that, I think is the, the real task and challenge. 
even normalize some... those things too. Mm -hmm. If we can normalize mm -hmm. them and name mm -hmm. them, this isn't something you've done wrong, Josh. Yeah. This is a normal um, experience of a maturing Christian. And you know, you while you while it feels desperate, we can we can hold space for you in this. And be yeah. That was going to be my next question: Is what are some practical ways that we can go about actually creating communities that deal with this in a healthy way? I like I like normalizing it, um, but at the same time, um, I, I wonder if we can also normalize it to the point where it becomes almost dismissive in a way as well. So, like, I, I think we should normalize it um, because, yeah, we all have these experiences. Um, but how can, we, what are some practical steps that we can take to, uh, yeah, really build that community like you're talking about, David? Well, I think something that comes right to my mind, and I'll try to explain this kind of quickly, is one of the resources that we read together in our School of Spiritual Direction is a book called The Critical Journey. And it outlines six life stages or stages of faith development and it's descriptive not prescriptive so it just says this these are the stages we typically go through over our life of faith in the fourth stage which is called the inward journey they name something called the wall it would be similar to a dark night it's when you know what we've been trying just isn't working anymore and we are being invited into ex experiencing god as mystery and the work of god is mysterious so what I was thinking when you said that, Josh, is uh, helping people recognize and identify that there are different stages of faith, and you will not always need or want the same things in one stage as you do in another, and um, that where you were at one point, you you know you'll be in a different place on down the road. I think because we have this very static view of our faith, like it's all about hunkering down. And making sure that we don't, you know, slide down that slippery slope. And we get this idea that faith should is static, that it remains the same, and it doesn't. So, you know, and there's a lot of models that describe these stages of faith. So I think creating communities that kind of have space for that would include education of the fact that there are stages of faith. And we need to yeah. understand what they are and create opportunities for people to be in those different places. So not normalizing it in the sense of, oh, he's going through a dark night, see you later, buddy. But normalize it in the sense of, of this is the this is a proper stage, and now we understand how to properly respond to that. And so we can gather around him when he needs people and encourage him, and maybe we can give him some space when he needs some space. We can allow him to ask questions or her. I'm just using Josh in the example here. Why are you always picking on me? <laughs> um, it, 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 and, and to normalize it in that sense of we're prepared for it, not just, uh, yeah, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Can't he get the joy of the Lord? <laughs> <laughs> I think I think another thing that comes to mind, and, and um, I'll use your stage one, two, and three. Stage three is kind of the fruitful, productive, you know, where we discover we've got gifts and contribute. The inward journey kind of puts a spoke in that, a, 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 a stick in the spoke of, yeah. of the wheels. It's almost like 
it disrupts. It's not about the program. It's not about expansion. It's not about doing more, right. faster, and production. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. yep. And yep. so I think part of it is um, growth is not just more numbers. It's about depth. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's about in communities reorienting what What's the end game here really all about? It's about becoming. And it's about becoming not only someone who resembles Christ, but becoming our true self. You know, this person that God created us to be a very authentic and real version of that. And sometimes that doesn't look all that fruitful. And yet it is profound mm. because I think what the world longs for and what the world will respond to most is a person who is fully alive and deeply human, who shows up and the light of Christ is seen in them and through them because of the the realness of their of who they are. So it's a bit inefficient, but highly effective, <laughs> yeah. if that would, would make mm -hmm. sense. And I think that efficiency is such a goal of mm -hmm. many of our communities and our workplace worlds that it's all about efficiency. Um, productivity. The spiritual journal is not about efficiency. It's about this growing depth in our person and our love and our sense of who we are. And so I think it's really uh, shifting views. Maybe that's part. another way to think about it, Josh, is how do we examine God's values and maybe our culture's values as it relates to doing life together? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Um, what sort of transformation do you want people to take away from this book? Well, the simple answer, which is kind of the lifelong probably pursuit, is that um, we would grow in our capacity to receive and give love, that we would become firmly established in our belovedness, that we'd be convinced beyond all doubt that... Um, that's where it begins and ends. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's the homecoming. And um, we, we're just a step away from that. I mean, in many ways, Christian life is just returning back again and again and again and again to that kind of being able to receive the gift and presence of God's love. Mm -hmm. Where can people go to uh, get your book and to find out more about your guys' work? Sure. You can uh, order it from... Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or InterVarsity Press, who is our publisher. So it's called When Faith Becomes Sight. And then if you want to know about our day job, uh, you can look us up at fallcreekabbey.org. Uh, we um, are the founders and directors of a small urban retreat center in Indianapolis, Indiana. And um, we would love for you to check us out. And better yet, come for a retreat sometime, including the two of you. Especially the two of you. We want to see you guys over here sometime. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely have to make that happen. So, uh, David and Beth, thank you guys so much for being on the podcast today. And uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom and experience with us. This has been just a joy to have you guys. So, thank you. And a joy to be with you. Yeah. You guys have a good night. In this week's conversation, we focused on becoming aware of God's presence and work. But when we go through these dark nights of the soul, God's presence and work seem to be absent. If you're going through one of these times, I want to encourage you, 
And this is why it's so important to grab hold of your identity as God's beloved child. If you can rest on that truth, that reality, the dark nights of the soul become a valuable time of increasing your desire for God, just as Beth said. So if you only get one thing out of our conversation with Dave and Beth this week, let it be this. You are a beloved child of the God who is working in the everyday moments of your life to help you become the person he's calling you to be. I want to challenge you to take 10 minutes today and meditate on that truth. You are a beloved child of God, and he's working in your life to help you become the person he's called you to be. Chew on that truth and allow God's love for you to become the reality of your lifestyle of discipleship. How can you create a lifestyle of discipleship? Most Christians think discipleship is a program or a few practices thrown in at the beginning or end of the day. But we want to help you create a lifestyle where walking with Jesus throughout the day is not only possible, but natural. And we have a tool that's going to help you do just that. It's called the Daily Growth Journal. It's a guided journal that's going to help you become secure in your identity with God and authentically walk with Him in your daily life. Growing daily in your walk with Christ is possible if you cultivate a lifestyle of discipleship. And the Daily Growth Journal will help you do just that. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Daily Growth Discipleship Podcast. To find out more about Dave and Beth's work, check out fallcreekabbey.org. Then check out the next chapter in our conversation, where we talk about a few of the things we've learned from this conversation. If you want to stay up to date on everything happening at Daily Growth Discipleship, go to dailygrowthdiscipleship.com and subscribe for free. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Spotify.